Okay, welcome to At The Chalkboard. We're here today to talk about teaching on the block. We're here at Liberty High School with some wonderful teachers there. Would you introduce yourself? I'm Thomas Kennedy. I teach math here at Liberty High School. I teach calculus and algebra one. And I'm Henry Level. I teach English here at Liberty and I teach honors sophomores and senior English. All right. So you guys were telling me here before we got cut off. Uh, have you guys always taught in block scheduling or have you taught in a traditional schedule like before this experience? So I've only taught uh, full time on the block schedule, but my student teaching year, I taught not on the block schedule. So coming here was a huge transition for me. I've taught every year on the block schedule except for my first year of teaching. I taught at Skyline High School where they have a six-period schedule. Was that transition difficult? Uh, Not for me. I I taught my first year as a student teacher. I taught on the block here at Liberty and then went to Skyline and then came back. But So I was already adjusted to it a little bit in in advance. But there were some challenges. It was devastating for me. Devastating. My, my, My first two weeks of school, I had no idea what was going on. I had no idea how to fill an hour and a half. Nobody had, I hadn't prepared myself and nobody had prepared me for the differences between this and a 50 period or 50 minute period. A 50 minute, yeah, 50 minute period. And then you guys have how long of a period? An hour and a half, 90 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So did you have just days where you were like, well, that was 50 minutes with the material and now I have 40 minutes Well, like the first day of school where I was going over the syllabus and I had nothing else planned. And it was an hour and a half long, and I was making up stuff constantly, like trying to come up with things that were relatively interesting that could keep the class going for another half hour. Uh, yeah. I, so I, I, I was a student teacher here that first year, and my mentor teacher, one of the things he told me, I got to watch him, so I got to observe someone teaching on the block. And he told me one of his piece of advice I remember was, always plan too much, never underplan. You never want to have... 15 minutes left where the kids just are sitting around and nothing to do. So I always planned too much and I'd always run out of time. So, uh, and that's never really stopped. Today I even was at the end was like, well, we're going to cut this last thing that we're going to do because we don't have time. So I've, yeah, maybe in English, I don't know, Thomas, is that easier? Oh, I totally do a similar thing. Like there's stuff I have to do every day, but I generally plan six things and hope to finish four of them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, And then the next two, I, I'm already halfway through my lesson next class. Right. So it's great. Which for me, it requires me to know what's essential and what's inessential. Because if I plan something that's essential for the end of the period, just because it might sequentially make the most sense to, you know, maybe we work on a skill, work on a skill, and then we're going to do a practice right. And that's the last thing in the period. If that's the essential thing that they do that day is the practice right, I, I, we might run out of time before the practice right. So it's funny, yeah, we, we, we really learn to overplan, but then you have to also know what, where, do, where do I cut from this lesson while it's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I kind of like, it's always triage. Yeah. So I always feel like education, even with a 55-minute period, I always sure. feel like education is triage, right? Yeah. You're just like, well, because I think, I think back to like, you know, my traditional nightmares right before school starts mm-hmm. or right before we go back to school after, you know, winter break, and I'm just like, it's always I walk into the classroom and I have no lesson plan. Yes. And it's just like soft shoe for 30 minutes, mm-hmm. just dancing around. Yeah. So I can imagine that can be nerve wracking getting started. How do you keep an, a, one of these extended periods engaging for students? How do you shape a lesson so that the whole thing keeps them interested? The way I like to do it is just do a bunch of different things. 
Uh, if you just do one thing the entire period, like talk at them for an hour and a half, like nobody wants to be talked at for an hour and a half. So just kind of, it's the thing where uh, Henry and I were already talking about, like just plan too much, like just have lots of different things to do. Uh, as long as you change up what you're doing, kids will kind of stay interested and uh, keep with you. One of the best compliments that kids give us that they don't intend to, to even give us the compliment is sometimes, and it's pretty rare, but sometimes they say, oh, wow, the period's already over. And with a 90-minute period, you know that, that wow, they, they, they <laughs> didn't have time to look up at the clock and, and get bored. So, yeah, I, for me, it's not just the number of things that I have, but there needs to be a difference in those things. And a lot of teachers make it a goal, especially with you know, younger students, freshmen or sophomores. Uh, there needs to be movement, some sort of way to move, even if it means, okay, stand up and vote you know, by standing as close to that wall as you can if you say yes and as close to that wall as you can if you say no. You know, even if it's something that seems otherwise kind of silly or arbitrary, just getting them to move. Good luck getting seniors to move, though. <laughs> I, I tell them that they get a PE credit if they move their, if they move their chair three inches and... But yeah, so planning different types of things. I remember a couple of years ago, I had this lesson on the road. Uh, we were reading the book, The Road, and I had several discussion points in that in this one section of the reading that, that I thought were all very interesting. I'd done them before with classes and they were interesting, but somehow they all fell on the same day. And at the end of the lesson, it, I just remember feeling like that was brutal because it was the same type of thing over and over. We did four different things, we, but we discussed this passage. Then we discussed this. Then we discussed – it was just group discussion for about an hour and a half, and yeah. I, the students were sluggish. They didn't want – you know, and I, I – it was a, it was all pieces that were successful, uh, you know, a different time, but on that day, they weren't. Huh. And just to mirror that, like, it's hard on the teacher, too. Like, I have all my AP calculus on one day, and when we teach the really brutally heavy stuff where I just got to do a bunch of d direct instruction, mm. I am so destroyed <laughs> by the end of that. And so I'm just trying to limit it in whatever way I can just to make it so I don't uh, go crazy. Go crazy. And I, I know that's reflected on them. Like, they, they're going crazy if I'm going crazy. <laughs> yeah. I have four sections of seniors this year. Uh, so, you know, four of my five classes are the same class and <laughs> I definitely get to my six period seniors and I was like, you guys got to bear with me here. I'm doing this and I've done it three other times today. Yeah. If you're not interested, I'm definitely not interested right. and it's tough. Is there, I mean, so you talked a little bit about kind of your formula for balancing things and having mm -hmm. some action in there, having mm -hmm. some movement in there on a daily basis. What's, do you have a formula for math? Do you have like a thing that you always want to include or like a, a favorite set of kinds of activities that you throw in there? I have a whole bunch of like semi-regular or regular activities. I do standards-based grading sort of things. So I have quizzes every Thursday or Friday that are pretty high stakes. You always get them back on Monday or Tuesday. So every Monday or Tuesday or Thursday or Friday, I have one of those things going on. Okay. I generally always have warm-ups in my class. Uh, so those are always are, are a fixture. Yeah, in there, there's lessony things. If I plan activities or we have group work, that kind of goes in other categories. So really, uh, every day is different. Uh, the kids are often looking to the board to see like which one, which mm -hmm. of the things are we actually doing today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then combine that with the you get you put six things on the board and get done with four. It keeps <laughs> them guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I I taught and I was just talking to you guys before the podcast. I taught block scheduling. 10 years ago, 11 years ago, um, at a Catholic school. 
And it was really hard because we had like zero resources. Like mm-hmm. they'd get real antsy if we used the photocopier for anything. Oh. <laughs> so like all of the creative ways that you could come up with filling 90 minutes with like dry erase markers and three of them that you had to make like mm-hmm. last for a semester <laughs> was absolutely comic. Yeah. Especially in English. It's just yeah. like running around. It's right. Like, all right. We're going to do this in your notebooks. Yeah. You need texts, right? Something that you mentioned about you're exhausted at the end of teaching that same class four times in a row for I think for us it's actually a little bit easier. Like I have four sections of honors English, but two of them are on A day and two of them are on B day. So that means that yesterday I taught my honors English class twice and then today I taught it twice. At that fourth one I don't feel quite as hammered as you know as you might feel at the mm-hmm. end of that one day four times in a row. Like the most in our schedule you can get would be three times in a row teaching the same thing because every day you have a planning period. Mm-hmm. So you're only teaching three classes in a single day. So I, I've, it's kind of nice not having, I, sometimes I wonder, wow, what if I taught four, you know, like you did four classes in a row or maybe even five of the same thing <laughs> in a row. I just wouldn't even know if I've already said something or not. Did I tell you guys this yet? No, I, I didn't. I say it like three times a day. Right. Yeah. And, then, and then you find out, oh, I, I forgot to mention this. That was essential. I just was certain that I'd said it. But we don't, I don't feel like I have that happen nearly as much as I, as I know I would. No, and yeah, it's for me, it's happened less than when I student taught, for sure. Mm-hmm. Just the how spread out everything is. Well, we would hope you've gotten better. <laughs> uh, but like even between first and second period, like the thing you did in first period was an hour and 40 minutes sure. before compared to... 50 minutes before yeah like that's a big deal mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and you can't just go from like one lesson into the next lesson it doesn't quite work like if you're trying to take like you have a curriculum developed and you're just moving from one school to another like it doesn't quite it's not one-to-one you can't just no. take things up yeah. and be like all right well today i'm gonna do all of lesson one and half of lesson two and then tomorrow pick up half of lesson right. two and all of lesson three it you've got to you've got to you've got to redesign everything for for the block and yeah. and that means that you're going to in, in English, you're going to get to less. And I, I hear that's the case in math probably too. It's just you're not going to cover as as much um, as much ground. You know, and, uh, when I taught at Skyline, we read, if we read maybe six books there, five or six books, I don't know, in a, in a year, it got to Liberty and we read about four. Mm-hmm. And the difference is that we just can't keep the reading pace, you know, it's not like we're going to double the reading pace to to get through more material. Yeah. Um, and so they can matter. still only take home about the same amount of homework. Right. Right. Yeah. So and some you know some weeks I see my classes three times. Some weeks I see them two times. And you would never probably set a reading pace that slow at at the other schools. You know, if you're reading Lord of the Flies is twelve chapters, and you want to read one chapter a night, which is a pretty you know decent reading pace, mm-hmm. that's about two and a half weeks at at uh, six period day. But here at Liberty, it's about four weeks uh, to get through all of those. So, so it slows you down, but then you just have more time to spend on each chapter. Then you know we, we can really dive into what's going on in this one. And so there's there's benefits to it, but certainly, yeah. When I came from Skyline here, my first year, I thought, oh, I'm going to teach this book, and I ran out of time by the end of the year and realized, oh, can't get there. I just want to add to that. In math, we teach all six books. Yeah, you ha- you that's have to, the unfortunate right. yeah. part of doing yeah. math and so we are rushing mm-hmm. and we're doing two lessons on one day a lot and the kids are overwhelmed by it and really with math it helps to practice every day mm-hmm. and we a lot of kids don't do their homework like that 
and so they're not getting practice every day or don't do their homework at all because let's face it like probably half of my students don't do their homework legitimately every night Mm -hmm. and so they're not getting practice every other day that they would be getting not on the block and so I mean it really just is a I mean I gotta be better to bridge the gap (laughs) it's it's a lot of it's a lot different Mm -hmm. so would you say and I know this is this is a difficult and, and weird question but would you say that it's better for kids to be on the block or better for kids to be on traditional scheduling or just different? A couple years ago, we had that question come up just by uh, means of we weren't sure if we were going to be able to keep the block or not. And I think a lot of teachers had to kind of figure out what they preferred one way or the other. Uh, we ended up being able to keep the block. And I, I realized in, in that process that I, I did want it, even if some part of me for my English class kind of wanted it to go to six periods just because I thought, oh, I can finally get to doing this or I, I can finally give more time for writing uh, because, you know, when it's hard to, it's when hard I was at Skyline, that, yeah. we would go to the computer lab for a week and that would be time for working on rough drafts. I would meet with students and they would be there in class lots of time. You know, a week in the computer lab at Liberty is is two days, you know, <laughs> that's, and that's, you know, you're not going to get as much. So I feel like there's things that I don't teach as well, but I ultimately wanted to keep the block, not for my own reasons, but because of what the kids are able to have. And the reality here at Liberty is that with a school our size to have as many programs as we do, and we have really good, uh, help me out here, Thomas, but art, <laughs> music, um, really, I mean, they're foreign. CGE. Yeah, CTE, lots, pro, of, yeah, CTE, lots of CTE classes. classes. Uh, yeah, there's drama is really strong. There's really mm-hmm. strong programs, journalism, and these kids get to take these over, not over and over, but you know, multiple years. Like there'll be kids who are on the journalism staff for three years because mm-hmm. they can do that as a sophomore. And I know that when I was on a six period schedule in high school, I felt like I didn't get an elective until I was, you know, a junior or senior, really, because mm-hmm. my first two years is, you know, you have to take PE, you have to take four core classes and you got to take a foreign language if you're going to be college bound. So, so that difference for kids that they can do that. So I, it, it pulls from my core subject and from Thomas's core subject. But when I look at what it is for kids overall, and I moved to the Liberty area because I have three kids and I want them to go to Liberty. And one of the things I saw was they, they get to really explore their passions here at Liberty by taking more, more elective classes that they might, and they can take them for consecutive years, you know, and another thing I think this lends to the Liberty atmosphere here is that when you take more elective classes, you take more classes with people who aren't on your track. Mm-hmm. And so the AP kids are taking classes with the lab kids. Mm-hmm. And more people know each other. And our school is just significantly less clicky than other schools I've been to because of that. Because the more oh. people know each other, it's it's MLK Day or our assembly was today. and. It just got me thinking of that. Like the more that people know each other, the less resistant they are to being kind to other people yeah. or to accepting other people. And so I, I really think that's a positive of the block schedule, even if it is very negative for math. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's I mean, that's a big thing, right? Is, is it does give you then, and I haven't even thought about that. It does give the kids a lot more opportunity to build community around the school mm-hmm. that, um, and I've been to other schools where, you know, they even separate out the AP classes and the regular classes by floor. Mm, wow. <laughs> uh, and like, so the AP kids never even see A the regular wing. level kids. Yeah. So it's just like, uh, or IB programs or something yeah. like that. I think IB programs create 
clicks real bad. And mm-hmm. I like the program. Mm-hmm. It's just I think that it tends to because separate IB, people out from the community. IB is sort of your in or out, right? You don't yeah. you don't get to take one IB class. You probably you do a whole track of them. Or is that the way I understand it? I think you can do a couple of them or something like mm-hmm. that, but you're not going to get an IB diploma. Oh, to get right, an right, IB right. diploma, you got to do the whole shebang. So then it put yeah, it pushes and all more the kids humanities into... classes come together. They're, yeah, they're usually packaged. Yeah, yeah, right. You can take the math or science outside. Okay, right. that. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's a. Uh, I can only imagine. Yeah, that creates a weird small school kind of situation. Yeah, that's interesting. It's a. Uh, it reminds me of in a lot of ways. I didn't even think about this, but like the small schools movement that we went through about five six years ago, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, where people were like, "Oh, they need smaller schools. They need smaller schools." But then the the fallout is you're walking by a bunch of people that you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No. I I, I can. I hadn't thought of what Thomas said that 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 the the non clickiness the the kind of kindness of the kids here at Liberty, which is something that just about everyone here notices. And I certainly noticed that I hadn't thought about how that might relate to the schedules that we have, but it, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I, I have three different samples on this, mm-hmm. which is how I noticed. Like I went to an IB school as a student and it was crazily clicky. Yeah. It still is clicky. Uh, people went to the 10 year reunion and everybody just still hangs out with their friends. It's like, <laughs> it's incredible. Like even at ten, after 10 years, and, and then I taught at Roosevelt, and it's kind of in between. They had an AP program. People were mostly took classes with each other, but it was still slightly mm-hmm. spread out. And then here at Liberty, it's like very much so this direction. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. just the more people are not separated from each other, the more people are inclusive of each other. That's, that's a huge benefit. That is yeah. a huge thing. I mean, even more sometimes than like, you know, because we think about what the kids need. Mm-hmm. Uh, becoming adults, and I think a lot of times we take for granted that learning how to work with a diverse, diverse group of people mm-hmm. is a necessary skill, but one that is hard to teach directly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you feel like is it better block scheduling? Is it better for some kids versus other kids, or do you feel it's like universally pretty good? I feel like this is an easy answer question, or yes yeah. or no. I, do, I honestly don't. I don't ever look around and say, "Well, that kid is not a block." schedule kid and that kid is yeah. I, I i don't see that i don't work with freshmen so I, I sometimes can understand i imagine that for a really squirrely freshman sitting in math class that could be or you know sitting in a class for 90 minutes just sitting in one place for 90 minutes can be hard but i don't know the age groups that i teach 10th and and 12th i don't see many kids that i think oh geez you need to be moving between more. classes more I, yeah. I got two good examples of this there's the freshman who never brings his A-Day backpack on A-Day. Oh, he no. has a B-Day backpack and an A-Day yeah. backpack, yeah. and they're forgetting all the time. I don't know why they, yeah. So that's disastrous. So that kid. Uh, and then the the other kid is the kid who signs up for seven or eight AP classes mm. because that's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not possible at yeah. a six-period schedule school. Yeah, right. Yeah. But it is at Liberty. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's the other kid where it's like, what are you doing with your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the answer is his homework. Right. Yeah. Now. Like, right. Yeah. That's an easy. You know sleeping. exactly what that kid is doing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Kind of maybe putting a more of a limiter on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I went to a high school that, that I actually went to a high school that was a traditional schedule and then we switched to block halfway through. Mm-hmm. And uh, I definitely noticed that. How do I say? We definitely got more done. Mm. But. Now that I think about it, you're right. I definitely got to enjoy my electives a lot more mm-hmm. when we went to block scheduling. Yeah. I got to do like an independent study. It was great. It was the best. It was the highlight of my high school career. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's funny because, you know, there are some times where we look at it. I mean, kids have four electives. There's four core classes and then four electives, let's say, that 
you know, if they're college bound and they want to take foreign language, then that's five, but still three electives every year uh, is a lot. lot. And and at some point there, you know, and and with a lot of kids you look at and and they, you hear the kids talking about, oh, I don't know, I'm taking this just because I have to fill my schedule with something. And then there are kids that aren't (laughs) truly, truly take, and and they don't, and they don't want to, or they just are trying to figure out a way to, can I get a waiver? You know, some seniors have waivers, uh, for instance, or they try and just fill it in with something that they're not really into. So that, you know, in that case, you wonder, okay, is it really effective? But I think what's cool about it is it gives the kids the opportunity, and they all have the opportunities. And if they don't decide, you know, if they're not interested in something and so forth, then, oh, well, at least they were given the opportunity to choose from a variety of classes. And I mean, I think a, a school that Liberty size, the idea of, is if we were at six periods, right now imagine that half our staff, half our FTE is going to uh, core classes. Mm-hmm. And if we were a six-period school, then two-thirds of our FTE would go to core classes, which means that we would lose staff members for – and it's not about just losing the staff members and the hardship there, but then you can't maintain programs. You know, you're not going to have someone who teaches three art classes and two you know, computer science classes. Where do you get those, those teachers? You don't, you don't have full-time positions for drama. You don't have full-time positions for all these mm-hmm. things. And so suddenly – we start to lose the programs. Oh, foods, that's a huge one. We have a, uh, an awesome foods program with our mm-hmm. El Cafe that the students serve awesome food at, uh, at lunch. Our foods teacher splits foods, and there's one that splits foods and health, and the other one who splits foods and PE. Sure. So, yeah. That's, I mean, yeah. yeah. And, but, I mean, and Issaquah's about, I mean, I don't know, about twice the size, but it's getting close to that, right? I mean, it's our school's, big. Our school's yeah. 1,200 kids. Our and so I think at a, or so, yeah. Yeah, so at a, at a school of 2,000 kids or more, it's the idea is that it's it is possible to run lots of programs because yeah. you just have so many kids to sign up for them even with only, they only have uh, two electives but at our school with only 1200 kids we wouldn't be able to to run all those programs you know yeah only certain programs would really survive that yeah well with Isaac getting so big by the way they're they're open up Gibson Eck have you guys heard anything about Gibson Eck yeah 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 I'm doing a podcast for them, so I've been going to oh, all their cool. meetings and yeah. listening to all the audio, and just it's a uh, that is a really interesting yeah format. I'd yeah. be curious mm-hmm. to kind of see what's what's going on with it. Mm-hmm. I guess I get to find out since I'm doing their podcast. So we talked a little bit already about what you can do with the block that you can't necessarily do with a 55 minute period. Mm-hmm. But are there any tips that you guys can think of as we wind down that you would give to? Joe, traditional schedule like me, mm-hmm. when it comes like you've picked up from teaching in a block that you think might be applicable to me? Like, hey, think about blank. Sure. We could start with the plan too much stuff thing. Yeah. That, that That's a real big one. You can't just do like the classic math teacher thing of go over homework, teach lesson, practice, work lesson. on homework. Yeah. I thought that's what you lesson. did. <laughs> that, that is the dream. I do that for an hour. No. Uh <laughs> Uh, that th- a lot of traditional teachers use that method because it's it's pretty easy it works ish mm-hmm. and coming here that would that would be a culture shock and so it's just be aware that it is quite a bit different mm-hmm. to only have class every other day and have class be 35 to 40 minutes longer than it is yeah mm-hmm. i guess something that's a benefit uh that we see in our class is the ability to take a discussion that maybe we thought was only going to be 15 minutes and watch it grow into a 35-minute discussion. You know, sometimes 
you didn't realize that the kids were really going to get into that or that someone asked that one question that then that wasn't in your lesson plan and it was a great question and it you know you have those moments that that grow and on the block it's easier to it's easier to fault to follow that to just go with it you mm-hmm. know if i have 90 minutes and now i'm you know i was planning on this opening discussion being 15 minutes and it went 35 well now i, I can adjust to that whereas on a 55 minute period it, it could be really hard to to find a way to work that in but so i don't know i guess maybe maybe if you're in an english class if you're trying to have a discussion that you think might be meaningful that you might they might have the potential to to grow and become more maybe maybe start there or, be, or use that early in the classroom so that you have or in the class time so that you have the the time to to let it you know grow into something more if if it does and if it doesn't then you still have the rest of your plan but but if you save that for the end of the class you know if, if you're 40 minutes into the class and you start that 15 minute discussion and someone asks it the 54 minute mark as kids are packing up that that question and it Oh, you just lost it, you know. I mean, you yeah. can try to get back to it the next day, but it's never going to be the same. It's never going to be, yeah, you're gonna, it's gone. And so, um, so I don't know. I mean, I guess on the on the block, we we're more likely to have that fall in the middle of our class period, or with plenty of time to, to explore it. To explore it exactly. Yeah. So, if I had advice for someone who is in a six period schedule, that's something that I see is a value that could could be taken advantage of, or could be more likely to occur in a six period day if you did it in the beginning. Yeah, implement like space around potential discussions so yeah. that if it does go over, Maybe, kids get yeah. interested that you have it built in mm-hmm. versus pushing discussion to late in the class period. Right. I get that, absolutely. Yeah. All right. You can also do ambitious group work. That, that's something we do a lot in math. Like mm-hmm. we can do hour long group work assignments. Mm-hmm. Whereas in a normal math class, like you're on, you only have 40 minutes after you've done whatever your, uh, mm-hmm. your normal structure is. Yeah. And so, yeah, we, we just can do more ambitious things. Mm-hmm. And the homework, cool. pace, um, the homework pace of the block, while I wish I could get a little bit – I mean, I, when I say homework pace, <laughs> I'm really talking about the reading pace. I wish it could be a little bit quicker sometimes, but it could be as simple as, you know, maybe my, re- maybe my reading quiz days are Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. If I was on a, if I was on a, fi- a six-period schedule where I saw the kids every day mm-hmm. I could just and, and I think that there's some value to giving the kids some space for the reading uh, that they're going to read on Monday Wednesday and Friday or their, their quizzes will be that day and then they have two days every time they have at least two days to do the reading I think that kids benefit from that here I know the kids like the space around homework uh, and I know that I just talked to a girl who came back from college yesterday and she said that that was she feels so well adjusted for college because she's used to knowing how to plan her time and not and not wait to the last minute for everything but you know she's she's used to that kind of college feel but i think that if i were on a six periods you know schedule i might decide that okay we're going to have three you know we're going to read three sections or three chapters or whatever each week and we're going to do that on you know mondays wednesdays and fridays and then i can use tuesdays thursdays to either supplement what we were talking about or what what happened in that chapter or reading or maybe those days could be more writing focused but um i I just think that if you don't plan it out and you just decide we're going to read every single night you might lose you know you might lose the kids and they might you know you might not really be honoring their ability to get something done because what happens when they you know they had that after school event that took four or five hours of their time or something like that and then or their sporting, you know, sporting event or whatever, and then they might not be able to turn around and, and read that that night. But if you give them a couple of days, to, it, I don't know. I think that um, I think it's a little more fair to kids. 
Now you brought up an interesting question, um, and that was homework and how to handle homework. <laughs> do you have? I mean, how do you handle homework when it comes to block scheduling? Is it how much do you give? Do you give more than you would? You think if you had to do it every day, or is it about the same? In Algebra One, I probably give. Oh, I would say about the same amount as as I give just on the normal, which okay. is ironic because I only meet half as many times and. Mm-hmm. I mean, I probably just give just as much practice because uh, I only give like 15 minutes between every class. But in calculus, I would do it way differently. Like right now I'm giving probably 45 minutes to an hour of homework, and I would much prefer to give 30 minutes of homework a night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think that the knee-jerk reaction is to assign more. In some classes you need to. Maybe it's maybe calculus or maybe uh, certain AP classes. It's just known that, look, we have to cover all of this before the test. So if that's the case, then there's a bigger homework load. I think APUSH, uh, APUS history is known for that, that large homework load because you can't just shorten the amount of time America's been around and say, hey, guys, we're, <laughs> we're just going to do these 200 years this, you know, because we're on a block. So yeah. it's sort of understood. But I think in general, the staff has to avoid that knee-jerk reaction because otherwise the kids have eight classes where everyone's doing a double homework load or mm-hmm. you know, a, an accelerated homework load, and then it, it doesn't actually give the kids more time for anything. So there's, there's that idea to balance there. But, but I think that our schools, I think our teachers are pretty good about that. I don't, I, don't think that's the, I don't think that's something that's happening where students are getting double homework for each class. I would, I would say that my homework load is pretty similar. You know, we're going to read chapter one of Lord of the Flies for homework. If I was on a six-period day, I would, I would have them read chapter one for homework for Lord of the Flies. I'm not going to say read two-thirds of the chapter, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. Uh, the last question I have for you guys today, and this one's kind of more, uh, you know, not even student-centric per se. I know one of the things our district has been really pushing is more curriculum development from, you know, between all the high schools. Mm-hmm. Have you found it's difficult to work with the Issaquah teachers and the Skyline teachers who have traditional class periods and try to align curriculums? I I don't think so. Uh, I think that anything that they do at the other schools would be pretty much we would work on our schedule and anything I think we do would typically work on their schedule. The one thing that maybe, maybe we, if, if we don't read as many books, then maybe there, maybe there are, maybe the Issaquah or the Skyline teacher has to read the two or three adopted books at a grade level and then knows that they have more, you know, supplementary uh, stuff to fill in. Maybe they have to pick up a fourth or fifth novel and they have to do more there with, which, we're, you know, we're going to, if we read our three required books, then we have maybe just one more to fill in, you know, like I read A Tale of Two Cities with my honor sophomores, and that's not one of the district required mm-hmm. books. But maybe if I was at Issaquah and I did honors sophomores, maybe we'd read six books. Maybe I'd have to do A Tale of Two Cities yeah. and this and this, you know, and, and so maybe there's, but I don't think that it's, I don't think that's something that gets in our way by any means. I don't know. Do you see it, Thomas? I don't, I haven't had any problems yeah, I mean, and the math department across the district has yeah. been, I think, I think is from what I understand from our math department is pretty far ahead when it comes to kind of alignment across district. Yeah, I mean, we're forced a lot because the yeah. standards for a long time in math, like sciences, have changed a lot, but maths have changed less, mm-hmm. and we're the only ones that had standards math and science for the longest time. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, we we've gotten used to all teaching the same thing, and even if we don't teach in similar ways. We at least assess the same things. Mm-hmm. 
And so we're all, I mean, I, I have no problems. I, I work with teachers from other schools as much as I do teachers from my own. All right. Well, thank you guys very much. Uh, I won't hold you back any longer on a beautiful Friday. I will end up, uh, I'm going to catch up with some other Liberty High School teachers who are also teaching on the block and hopefully get their thoughts and stuff like that. But I really appreciate you guys setting aside time. Sure, no problem. All right. No problem. Thank you very much. Thanks. Welcome back to At the Chalkboard Part 2. We're still talking about teaching on the block and a little bit about what it takes to split up a 90-minute period versus teaching on a traditional schedule. I'm here with a couple new teachers here. Well, not new as in new teachers, but uh, new as in not uh, Mr. Lovell and Mr. Kennedy that we talked to in the first half. Uh, would you introduce yourselves? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, Peter Kurtz. Um, do I go ahead and keep going? Yeah. All right. So um, Peter Kurtz, a uh, teacher at Liberty High School, um, the World History and the World History AP. Nice. Mm-hmm. And I'm Mike Hassenfluck. Uh I teach uh, Spanish and French here at Liberty High School. Uh, this is uh, my 19th year teaching, uh, eighth year teaching here at uh, Liberty, taught in Enumclaw, the first part of my career. And uh, yeah. So you're slowly inching your way up to civilization at this point. Slowly, yes. Yeah, I've, I'm making it out of the hinterland, Renton. and we're getting closer and closer to where, you know, property prices are really high. So um, <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Uh, so I should probably answer that part of the question, too, right? Mm-hmm. My experience? Sure, yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, I started teaching in Idaho, uh, the student teaching. This is my 11th year of teaching. Mm-hmm. From Idaho, I went over to the U.K. I taught over in really? Manchester, England. Um, I then started teaching in Houston, uh, Texas afterwards. I moved to Houston. I taught at the college level. Um, it was basically for uh, freshmen, you know, uh, U.S. History 101, 102. Um, and then I also taught middle school. Um, so I teach two sections throughout the year and then summer school at the, the community college. And then I would teach uh, middle school. I uh, taught that for three years. Then I went to the early college high school and taught at uh, Houston Community College, and um, uh, it it was uh, Houston Academy for International Studies. Um, And then uh, I decided to move back up to the Northwest, and this is my fourth year at Liberty. Wow. So you are one, you are like water gymnastics away (laughs) from having taught nearly everything at nearly every level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. Well, I forgot to mention, I also taught for several years uh, at the community college level. Uh, when I first started teaching, as we know, beginning teachers don't earn very much money, and I yeah. needed to supplement my income, so I taught uh, a Spanish class at night at Pierce College down in Puyallup for several years, which helped uh, make uh, make ends meet a little easier than it would have, uh, would have been the case had I not done that. So there's some additional experience for you. Nice. I have not had. I have not tried to teach at the post-secondary level at mm-hmm. all. Um, I got out of high school. I went to college, and I went right straight back to high school. So it's yeah. nice. I've never actually had to mature past the age age sixteen. That's right. And Doesn't you know, pay as well as you think. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> and you know how how it is in uh, high school. It's like that uh, movie Groundhog Day. You know, you keep waking up every year in September, and you're back to where you were before. It's. Uh, 
It's a replay. <laughs> every I tell my year. seniors, like, you think you're frustrated. <laughs> I've been here 10 years. Yes. <laughs> I've never thought of saying that. That's, That's right. Funny. Imagine. Every year I'm a super senior. That's right. Uh, yeah. So we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, I'll start you off with, uh, you, you kind of have already talked a little bit about how long you've been at Liberty. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you always taught with block scheduling? Was it a difficult transition for you moving from traditional? Uh, I have not. I, initially at Enumclaw High School, we had a traditional six-period schedule, 55-minute uh, periods, very, very typical. Um, um, I found that the classes went very quickly. Uh, well, in comparison to, to what we're doing here, uh, we have nearly double the time. So, um, so I've got experience in both both systems, and um, there are pluses and minuses to both. Which so, we'll get an opportunity to talk yes, about. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So you, you felt it was just it was <coughs> so much longer having that long period of time. Well, I mean, as a language teacher, I can I do a lot of different things every day, so it's very easy for me to you know add additional activities to 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 fill that time. I mean, that are beneficial to to my students. Um, so, as far as a block schedule is concerned, it's not a not an impediment for me. I don't have any trouble at all um, keeping my students busy for the entire class period be it 55 minutes or 90 minutes is what we've got here so mm-hmm. um, it's not a problem I've heard some complaints from some other people who don't care for it for precisely that reason because I think you know a lot of kids can't sit still for that amount of time um, but I, I think if you keep them occupied and uh, it's not really a problem mm-hmm. And you've taught in a traditional scheduled class too. Right? Uh, yeah. Well, I've actually yeah I've t- I've taught in both. Um, if we're obviously we're you know just talking about the American system. So in a block or uh, you know seven day period. Um, I think you guys call them here. I mean I've had them where I had to teach like eight periods and you had one period off. Um, so anywhere from as low as like fifty minutes a class to an hour and thirty two minutes. You know so anywhere from in there I've taught. Um, you know. I think you, I think you're getting to the, the next question here. Yeah. So, you know, what do you think about that? Well, I think that you know I'm a social studies teacher, so clearly I'm going to be in favor of the block schedule. I mean, um, it's it's really hard to get kids thinking about their prior knowledge and then you know give them some kind of area to explore uh, and then have them understand that, have a discussion about it, and by the time we start getting into elaborating on what they now understand or what we've been talking about it, in a 50-minute period, the bell's going to ring because there's a lot of things that come up in a classroom, um, you know, whether it be an announcement or, you know, somebody needs to go to the bathroom, you know, and there's just a lot of little things that come up. So as a teacher in a 50-minute period, if you're like social studies or or English, you know, typically those kind of teachers are like, we don't have time, you got to keep moving, you know, we've got to get you to understand this. And in such a short amount of time, by the time they actually start talking about it intelligently about whatever is we've we've gotten to, uh, the bell would always ring. Um, so I think that you know, uh, eight period day is, is a fantastic um, way to have repetition and practice, and in certain academic areas that is more necessary than others. And so you know, I I always joke, you know, I'm I'm a socialist teacher and. So me and English, we love the block schedule because then we've got more time to get into this, into the lesson, right. actually practice the lesson, elaborate on the lesson, so that they can actually walk away having learned something from it. Mm-hmm. And then we can also, you know, 
stop and talk about that afterwards. Um, and it doesn't really matter what kind of lesson planning you're doing, whether it's like a three-step or a f- five model E or, you know, it's always kind of the same, you know, it's like introduce it, prior knowledge, get them to do something with it, work with it and change their understanding. And then what did they take away from it? And usually that takes time. Yeah. So, and the other thing that's great about a block schedule is that the kids see you every other day. So if you have a teacher that's really hard on homework, you know, or things like this, the kids have a couple days to kind of gather themselves and put it together. And so I found myself here in this block schedule kind of um, I'd been on the block schedule before, uh, and we were having this argument. And this was at a middle school in Houston. And we went, you know, I was like, well, no, if we want to see scores go up, we need to have them doing this every day. So we need to go to this other schedule, uh, which was like a seven or eight period a day. Yeah. And uh, we did. And I was shocked to see the scores go down. Huh. I did not understand why. Um, you know, we were spending every day talking about everything. Um, you know, it it just was that way. You know, the reality is that sometimes people need time to process things. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you can go deeper without having to spend a lot of time getting to that point and then just have the bell ring and then just have to start all over the next day, you know? Right. Um, so it matters on your community. It matters on what their goals are and what their desires are. But at least in that community doing it every day, uh, having class every day, brought the scores down, and it was a lot more work because, you know, inner city Houston, there were some behavioral management problems and, you know, things like this. Um, so, you know, by the time you get the kids settled and you get going into it, you got 20 minutes. You know, sometimes you're just like, right. I just don't have the energy for this seven yeah, kids times don't settle down more in the same day. Right. And it it's, normally takes, you know, five or yeah. minutes plus for kids to settle down. Yeah. realize that they're in a different class and then you've got the kids who are you know for some reason insistent on packing up well before the bell rings <laughs> you know what are the right. kids who look at the clock and say oh no. we're out of here in nine minutes I'm gonna start packing up well no no I have to remind <laughs> Why the students are you by the door uh, no nine minutes that's nine that's eight and a half minutes of work you could be doing and you know trying yeah. to Um, understand what we've been doing here in class so yeah and I've heard those things you know you mentioned before about you know not having enough things to to talk about oh that's never been a problem (laughs) yeah it's never been the problem or the bathroom things little things like this are always fixable um Mm -mm. you know one of the things I would say that's hard about a block system is um you know just not being (laughs) you can't go to the bathroom for an hour and a half so you got to get on this this very long period um so i would say usually that's just fixed by allowing students to go to the bathroom you know like trusting and that that's what they'll do (laughs) you know the block system that we have here is not the same as the block system that they have at other schools for example tahoma high school has a block system as well Mm -hmm. but they only have six classes total and they'll do three classes one day three classes the next day they'll alternate like that Mm Whereas we have a even more fundamentally different kind of schedule in that we have four. eight classes yeah. for each day, which um, it, it's it's different. So we're actually from a seat time standpoint, we have less than the other two comprehensive high schools in our district. About we've got about eighty percent of the seat time that they have at Issaquah or Skyline, yeah. which impacts obviously what we can do. Um, 
but the community here is very supportive of this. They've uh, made that known to the, uh, the superintendent and the school board on multiple occasions. And uh, the school board has decided that, well, the community here at Liberty will get what they want, and which is, which is what we have, which is fine. Yeah. I'm more than happy to work with that. So uh, losing the daily repetition, though, in a foreign language? You don't yes. I th- well, I think, yeah, I would like to have a situation where, where we meet daily. Um, that is, that's problematic for me. I think we would do better. But, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Because we have so many, um, we have so many uh, classes, they're taking eight, they also have room in their, um, in their schedules to take more advanced classes that they wouldn't otherwise. If we compare the number of kids at Issaquah or Skyline that are taking uh, Spanish or French four or five, it's a much lower percentage than it is here at Liberty because the kids don't have room in their schedule when they've only got six classes. They have to make a decision. So um, whereas we're, our students are able to take classes yeah. for a longer period of time. So um, yeah, so that, that's, that's a benefit, but at the same time, the daily uh, meetings would be, I think, better. Uh, so, you know, there's pluses and minuses to it. Uh, I would say that, yeah, I mean, for social studies, as I said before, it's, um, you know, to bottle and package something in 50 minutes, like, let's say we're talking about, um, what's some, you know, like right now we're, 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 we're looking at Cold War. Okay, how do I as a teacher, bottle and package something uh, in 50 minutes, like the Cold War. Because, I mean, when you talk about, like, I teach world history, so I might have a day for the Romans if I were going to go linear. And yeah. what I've found is that that's just not possible. So I go thematic, which is like, let's talk about empires. So, but let's look at a linear traditional class, just the world history three class, world history two that I'm teaching right now, and put the AP aside. How do you teach the Cold War? In 50 minutes. Well, in 50 minutes, it's going to be very simplified, stereotypical. Um, and the kids. Are you going to boil down the entire Cold War into like in one class one period? period? Well, That's, yeah. Well, I mean, well. I mean, if you're going to get through what the curriculum asks. So yeah. usually, what you do is you go after the skills, and then you yeah. use content to just kind of supplement that. But at the same time, you know, the kids want to know. Why, why do I hear so much about this Cold War? And anything you do in 50 minutes is going to seem artificial. It's, it's, you know, and so for me as a social studies teacher, you know, by the time we actually get into to real discussions about what the Cold War was, we get through the beginnings, the openings, and we get into diving and, and, and really explaining um, the content. Um, you know, it's, we're going to be an hour, hour in at least. And so at that point... Um, I think that kids really start appreciating social studies because they start to make connections between what happened in their life today, you know, and how that impacts. So I think that um, my lessons over time being in a block schedule have really kind of morphed um, into being a couple days, even though it's the block schedule. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, hoping that they take away the skills from that and the content to be able to connect it to their daily life. So my, my lessons have definitely morphed away from this bottled, packaged lesson plan that you can easily buy on the internet or mm-hmm. in the next educational book um, into something that I think is more um, individually personalized because as I go 
because I have the time to start knowing them a little bit more, I can start doing that. Right. Yeah. Now, one thing about uh, language learning is uh, for the vast majority of my students, the classroom was where they practice, well, most of their speaking skills. And that's something that, well, in the case of most of my students, they, they can't really do very well at home. Um, whereas for some other disciplines, other courses, you know, reading, for example, if you're mm-hmm. studying the Cold War or whatever part of history you happen to be studying, um, you're able to get some instruction at home via reading. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, we, my students also have homework that they need to do as well. Um, but uh, from a, an oral standpoint, from an actual, you know, speaking and listening, they do almost all of that here in class. So the, 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 the system that we have right now is, is not as beneficial to them as I think meeting every day would be. But, you know, that's... On the flip side of that, uh, there are, you know, in an 82-minute period, there are times where, you know, I'll get their assignments and they'll be having individual work and I'll actually have the time to go through all these and actually speak to each individual student about what they've done that day. And um, I think I think that's kind of like the dream of a, a perfect lesson is that you can give them immediate feedback on whatever skill you've been trying to develop. Yeah. And I've even had parents that were like subbing here at the school overhear my conversations in the library one on one about their writing. You know, I'm calling each of them back saying, OK, this is what you've done. This is how you've written this. Um, we need to we need to get you to understand that this is a different style. This is a different way to go. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be it's going to make you academically stronger. And, you know, I've had parents literally overhear this and then at the very end come over and talk to me and say, I need my child in your class. They're coming next year, you know, da, right. da, 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 da. And Which so, is a great compliment. Yeah. yeah. And great. so, but the point is, is I would never have that if it were a 50 minute period, because you, you must remember, it's not just the students in that environment. It's the teacher too. And mm-hmm. if I've said something six times by the seventh time, <laughs> I can't remember if I've said it yet. You know, it's just that repetition over and over again. I'm sure by the seventh time I deliver it, a lot of things will be better. But from my experience, the seventh time I've said it, in one day, I mean, it does start to yawn on you. You yeah. know, even you need time to process what you're doing to yeah. be able to deliver it better. I have four sections of seniors this year. I've definitely noticed the, the repetition <laughs> cracks that start to happen. Mm. Um, like you feel like you nail it by the second period or the second time you say it and the third time you say it, it's like, okay, well, I'm just repeating what I said second time. And by the fourth time you say it, it's like, what did I tell you guys about this yet? So No, exactly. Yeah. I have three sections on the same day of a French AP class. And uh, oh, wow. the first the first time through is my uh, trial run. I hate to say yeah. that. But um, because if I'm going to do something, I don't know if it's going to work uh, necessarily. And uh, I'll know by the second time I do it. So I feel that the, the students in the, you know, the second and then the third class are at an advantage, at least from an instructional standpoint, because I've already you know uh, worked out the kinks in the whole presentation. So. Uh, sorry, first period. Uh, you're, you're my guinea pigs. <laughs> yeah. I find that I always go mm. faster the first time I have to teach mm-hmm. something because I haven't gotten a feel yet for where kids need uh, help. So right, and then second and third period, I'm I'm dwelling on those places where first period struggled. So right. it takes me longer to teach it. And then by sixth period, I've taken those sections and those sections are unfortunately like blown up into something really huge, and I miss the other. So it's it's, it's definitely an art, not necessarily a science all the time. That's um, true, clearly. 
Now, is there a particular... Now, you've said, you know, uh, that you didn't like the bottled lesson, mm-hmm. that block scheduling gives you a little bit more flexibility. Is there something you always feel like you have to have in each class period to, to break it up? Or is there, like, a favorite go-to midpoint thing? Or Well, you know, I would say that the, the having extra time gives you flexibility. And it gives you a time to have a little bit more of the human aspect of the educational process. Um, and it takes away a lot of that anxiety. Um, and I'm, I'll, I'll answer your question directly, but yeah. indirectly, I was going to say, you know, I remember um, one class I was in, and I can't remember if I was the student or if I was observing another teacher, but it was a it was a 50 minute period, and he walked up to the front of the room, and the kids were just kind of messing about, you know, yeah. getting ready to get their stuff up. And he goes, "You kids don't get it. You know, this is the most important subject ever, and this." class means the world and you know he's like pointing down at the ground and everything and I was just like oh my god I'm never gonna do that you know yeah because that anxiety of trying to achieve all these objectives um, and trying to get the students to a certain level in such a short amount of period with so many kids just becomes so much more stressful in a 50-minute period because you've planned for this. You know, you've got the plan for this 50 minutes how you're gonna utilize it and kids need some downtime mm-hmm. uh, in between you know, what you're going through and at the beginning of class and at the end of class. And that's just something that's real. Um, So I would say that that was something that was really, really good about it. As far as like my lessons that I always have to have, um, I would say that I always try to use different strategies and different types of learning techniques um, for all my classes, like at least one. So I think of it more as like if I were a fisherman, you know, I throw out as many hooks as I can. To, to catch. So I wouldn't say there's one way of always doing it, but obviously there's got to be a way in which they explore what they know and connect what they know to whatever we're learning in the class and also improve uh, their social studies skills. So um, it could be a warm up on the board that starts this discussion that then leads to, you know, whatever connection to the past where we look at it. It could just be, um, you know, here's a pre assessment this is what you've done, this is what I see from this, this is where we're going with. So I think there's just a lot of different strategies um, done, things like, you know, taught the French Revolution through illustrations, you mm-hmm. know, where you just put up the illustration and you'd be like, let's flip this. You tell me what 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 happened then, you know, and then we look at what they think and then what they know. And, and how did your students things. react when they saw the uh, Marie Antoinette illustration? Uh, you know, honestly, <laughs> you know, honestly, they they knew about Maria Antoinette, so I, I didn't bring too much up, uh, up about her, except for the fact that she had her little village, uh, okay. her own little world. But they did, the uh-huh. French students did bring her up. Yeah. Yes, so. That's, uh huh. Yeah, I remember going to visit that village. It was very interesting. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah. Do, do you have anything that you specifically do each period, or a, a technique that you use to when you're varying? Well, um, I have it's uh, much more rigid procedures. Um, my lower level classes. Mm-hmm. I'm teaching a couple of first year French classes. I also teach a uh, college and the high school Spanish class as well. Um, but for them, we always start off with a warm up. It gives me five minutes to A, take attendance, B, pass back any papers that I need to to take care of, and it also gets them, uh, their minds focused more on the topic at hand, because it's always something that we've dealt with in previous classes. Then I take time, if they have any questions on their homework, they do most of their homework online. Oh, wow. um, and uh, a specific we, uh, uh, website that you use, or right? There's a website. Well, it's it's associated with the book, so it's oh, okay. it's correlated oh. exactly with the lessons, and oh. I can choose uh, 
any um, activities that I want for nice. them. Which is good. And they include, you know, uh, listening activities, written activities, a wide variety. Then um, we move on to generally a game. Um, we play two or three different games. They make vocabulary cards mm-hmm. um, by hand that's associated with vocabulary of the unit. Um, and then we move on to new material, and then we practice that new material um, via writing and speaking activities for the remainder of the period. Um, so that's typically how at least my first and second year classes are, are um, structured. And then uh, beyond that, the curriculum for, for uh, the upper level classes are typically dictated by, um, at least for Spanish, uh, our third, fourth, and fifth year Spanish classes is college and the high school. So we're taking the curriculum directly from the University of Washington. Yeah. And um, for the AP French, just as for four or five, um, that's more free form. So I go with uh, what I think is going to work. I, you know, uh, plan these out. But sometimes uh, you'll plan something. You know, you know, this isn't really working very well for this class. So you make adjustments yeah. as you have to. Um, I do more of that at the upper levels than, than I do at the lower levels. So was that the answer to the question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, All absolutely. Right. Yeah. No, it's just interesting because I always like. Yeah. I taught block scheduling years and years and years ago, and I did. I kind of had like a, a little bit of a formula, like, okay, we're going to do a bell ringer or the entrance yeah, entrance thing, and then mm-hmm. we're going to do like, you know, some sort of reading activity and then some sort of like discussion activity and then some right. sort of, you know, end with them practicing or demonstrating the skill that we were learning. So it, was, mm-hmm. it always felt like there was this kind of same flow mm-hmm. uh, that at a 55-minute period I don't feel like I can do, um, that I have to to – pick two out of the three and do two out of the three that day instead right. of the full three. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Seeing as everything takes about a half an hour. Right. Yeah, and then that's what I would say, that's what I was saying before, is that that two out of the three always becomes your your norm. Yeah. So you're always skipping a beat. Or you get a lot of anxiety and be like, we're going to make it this time. We're going to make it through the third thing. I have all these things planned. And, and mm-hmm. I found that I, I never wanted to give up that third thing. So I'd always start the third thing the next day, and then it would be third and first, and before you know it, it's just all... Everything's all scheduled mm-hmm. off weird, yeah. yeah. Right. No, understandable. Right. Uh, so I think I, I got kind of a read on the this next question, but uh, I'll ask you just because it... Um, I'll ask you directly, just because I think your answer is going to be so much different than uh, Kennedy and Levels, and that is, do you think block scheduling is good for kids' education? Or do you think a more traditional schedule would be better? Well, you know... Um, I think I mentioned before, I mean, there are pluses and minuses yeah. to it. Uh, I think, you know, 50 or 55 minutes is very, very fast. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, the length of time that we have is, I, I like, I think 90 minutes is, is fine. I, but at the, on the other hand, meeting every day would be, would be better um, from, a, I think, a retention standpoint. And, and also, just developing um, oral proficiency for for language. I mean, you want to practice as much as possible, and every other day is not necessarily an ideal situation. So, um, but as I mentioned before, you know, this community here really likes this schedule. They like the the um, the additional opportunities that it affords their 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 students. And they've been very vocal about it. And we've had, well, our last superintendent tried twice to, to make the schedule here uniform with the other two buildings, the yeah. other two high schools, and, and failed both times because uh, there was such a um, community. Uh, community support for what we yeah. have. And 
Um, you know, all it takes is a couple dozen people showing up at the uh, the school board meeting, and the, all of a sudden, you're on the school board. Whoa! This apparently this is a this is a hot topic, and uh, uh, that was all it really took. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, personally, I think there are pluses and minuses to either to, to both systems. Um, I personally would like to meet with my parent with my parents, excuse me, with my students every day, but that's not possible with this particular. Yeah. So I, uh, it sounds like I'm on the fence, uh, and I guess I am. I think if I were to, if I were a dictator and I could say, well, we're going to do it this way, <laughs> um, then I'd probably go to an everyday situation where yeah. we're meeting every day. That's probably what I would do. But I'm also uh, believe in democracy, and I think if that most people in an area think that they should think should be a certain way, then I'm not going to oppose that. Yeah. So. And that makes sense. I mean, given. Yeah. How do we say this? Uh, our, our kind of catchphrase for our podcast is uh, practical solutions for our actual classroom. Right. Uh, so not, you know, we try not to wander into like if I, you know, if I only was a was a king uh, because you can't, especially as a teacher. You know? No. That's certainly not within our realm of realm to say. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah so um, I'm thinking, you know, if we're. You know, I can, I can see that there there are certainly values on both sides. And as a social studies teacher, I've always said, you know, I'm very much supportive of the block schedule. If I'm looking at um, Liberty's community, I mean, I think that they've spoken what's best for them. And I think that um, whether you look at it from a, from a teacher perspective, just a general teacher perspective, the block schedule is better because it gives you more time to schedule what you're going to do. It gives you more planning time. Um, you know, I, I have to plan basically three lessons a week. And, you know, I can change the, I have time to change them if things aren't working out from one day to the next. So I can quite, I can tailor them. I, I can do, a, I have a lot more power and flexibility into a daily schedule. So instead of planning five very short lessons, I'm planning yeah. three good ones, you know. And um, and I like what you said before about this idea of uh, being able to provide formative feedback that yeah, day. I, that it, I can't, I can't do. Oh, I got to take something so home and I got to look it over yeah. and then I got to find time that evening and then I got to give it back to him the next day when mm -hmm. things are a little bit fuzzier. Yeah. And so as a teacher, it, it's, it's a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. I, I like it. Um, as far as the students go, you know, you can't generalize, you know, and say that all classes are going to benefit from this block schedule. But when I look at the seven, you know, all day versus block, since it's spread out over time, there's a little bit more flexibility for all all different ones like a ceramics teacher or you know band teacher or these kind of things so there's a lot more flexibility within the block schedule because it is broken out over time uh, from a student perspective from what I've been shown from the district over and over again in these PDPs and things has been that um, Liberty does have s more socioeconomic difficulties being that it's closer to Renton and things like this yes we're and the poor end of the district yeah and um, I mean, these are just the, the statistics they're showing us. Now, yeah. I, I'm not validating these. I'm just reciting, yeah, no, you know. But, um, you know, they're showing those kind of things, and, and they're showing um, our at-risk students um, are lower, and, and, you know, and there's more of them and things like this. Yet, you know, our results are always very comparable or better than in some Well, yeah, I mean, that was part of the... Ahead, oh, sorry. sorry about that. I, don't I was on a flow know. there. I know, just a second, but <laughs> I'm going to forget this, yeah, and I think okay. this is important sure. because this was part of um, what 
was presented to the school board um, when the decision came to, well, should we normalize the liberty schedule with the rest of the uh, of the district or not? And it was, well, what are the scores? <laughs> and uh, the what's scores the were, yeah, what is, what's, what's, what's the data? And it turns out that uh, our scores are very comparable to the scores in the other buildings. Right. So there really wasn't a... Given a uh, population da- where you would a, expect something lower. A data-based excuse to change liberty schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry. No, no, go, you're Go totally on, right. Peter. I was, so, I, yeah. so if we're looking at it from a student perspective, um, you know, the data certainly supports this system, and I think that's why the parents were so on board of keeping this. The other thing is, is that our school is so student-driven. Like, the classes... Um, the the clubs, I mean, it's all student-driven. So the reality is if if the students don't buy into what we're doing, it Mm -hmm. doesn't happen at Liberty. And um, the block schedule is something that they want because it it is a way to protect them. I hear, you know, we were at Professional Developments in Issaquah about homework, you know, and how we're just devastating them with homework and things like this. And, you know, the reality is at Liberty is, is no matter what a teacher prescribes one day, the kids know they've got at least two days to mm-hmm. sort it out or right. find some kind of uh, uh, compromise or something on that. Um, and so they can utilize their resources. They have the time to utilize the counselors or any other, you know, the APs or, or the teacher themselves, you know. Um, and I do get emails from students about that and how to change that. So from a student perspective, it's great. Um, from a teacher perspective, it's great. Um as far as I understand, the only thing that I've heard um, that was kind of off on it is that one, as a district, we're not all on the same page mm-hmm. uh, on a schedule, and then two, I heard there was something about busing. I guess uh, our buses cost more or something because I thought it was like later in the day or something like that. But I don't know if that even. Makes oh, sense. I think our schedules are the yeah, same. The you guys start at Issaquah. Well, you start at seven twenty-five. Seven twenty-five, and we're uh, out at. 3.15? Is it 3.15? Or 2.15? We're out at 2.16. That's right, 2.16. Do you have a half day on Wednesdays? Too? We do have a half <laughs> day on Wednesday, and it goes yeah. to 3.36. So, I mean, I guess the only argument is 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 the, uh, you know, we're not all on the same page. But at the same time, I think we're servicing, you know, different students in a yeah. different place. And, and not yeah. only that, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that gets to one of your questions I saw later that I'm kind of holding out on is, you know, um, you know how does that make it? Has being on the box schedule made collaboration across the district more difficult for Teachers of Liberty? I think that. Well, yeah, you want to if you want to touch on that, that's fine. I was actually going to skip that one. (laughs) Well, here's here's what happens with us is that because we only have about eighty percent of the seat time that you guys have, yeah, we have to cut some things out of the curriculum. We don't have any choice. Yeah. Um. So twenty percent is a lot of time. Twenty percent is a lot of time. So what happens is a lot of the, I don't want to use the word fluff, but a lot of the extra stuff that a lot of kids would think, oh, this is fun, um, I can't do because I don't have the time for it. So that, that's, an, that's an issue, I think, because I, I think a lot of people, a lot of students are attracted to some of that you know, additional stuff mm-hmm. um, that I, I can't really present to them because of time constraints. Yeah. So, um, but we, 
as well, we offer what we cover is uh, substantially what was going to be covered at the other buildings from a from a core material. Mm-hmm. So I would feel totally comfortable with one of my students if they were to transfer to Skyline or uh, Issaquah. I'd think that they'd be on the same page uh, as far as skills are concerned. Um, However, they probably wouldn't be have been exposed to some of the extras that, um, under a more traditional schedule, I'd be able to provide for them. So, that's that's a I don't know a problem. Well, I was going to say that maybe. Uh, do you want me to answer this one or the the other question about how being on the block schedule made collaboration across the district more? Difficult? Let's go ahead and move to that last question okay. here before we kind of run out of time. Yeah. So, has being a uh, on the block schedule made collaboration across the district more difficult for teachers at Liberty. Um, I would say that the difficulty in uh, collaboration across the district has not been because of the block schedule. Um, I have found that whenever we do meet, at least from a social studies perspective, um, it's been um, that we might be offering different courses. It might be that, sorry, it might be that we're offering different courses could be um, uh, different personalities. It could be a lot of different reasons why. Um, I've never had to say, you know, oh, I'm sorry, I'm on the block system. We can't work today. <laughs> As an uh, apology. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to so, get a coffee. You guys you yeah, carry you on. Know, usually the coffee <laughs> happens for different reasons. <laughs> so I haven't seen that be the conflict. In fact, I've, um, I've you know, Collaboration across the district, I've found it's just the problem is, is everybody's doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. Yes, block schedule is an example of that, but it's not the only example. There's a lot of other examples that are just so different um, that if cl- cross collaboration is what we're aiming for, if that's our goal, um, then there would be a lot of other avenues we could take to build that because we are still teaching um, and we are devoted to that that subject in that in that field so there's a lot of bridges there um i don't think that the 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 schedule has been anything more than maybe an excuse Mm -hmm. Mm all right yeah well thank you guys very much we'll go ahead and wind it up there sure uh and that gives me a good amount of time talking about the block schedule and i think that covers a lot of my questions certainly so Mm -hmm. thank you for being on uh we'll be back in two weeks with another episode after this one as well Uh, i already have it in the can so it's excellent that's exciting Uh, and hopefully i'll get a chance to make it back out to liberty do some more uh talking to teachers here out in liberty you're always welcome all right thank you thank you very much you bet